0: Thank you for signing up for this online session. I hope it gives you some insight on things you can do as a translator or interpreter to become more efficient and effective. After you watch this video, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. You'll see all my contact info on the very last slide. Check out my website, hafalombardina.com for more sessions that can help you improve your current skills, diversify your services, or position yourself better in the translation and interpretation field. Well, I hope you like the content I'm sharing with you today and I look forward to hearing from you very soon. Hello, fellow translator. I'm really glad that you decided to learn about subtitling today. And we will only cover the basics here so you can get a better idea of the technical aspects that are involved in subtitling. This online session will last about an hour or so and the purpose here is just to give you an introduction about the theme, okay? Feel free to reach out to me if you have some questions after watching the session or if you'd like to practice and get feedback on your work. Alright, let's get started. These are the subjects we will be covering today. So this introduction about the different aspects of subtitling will contain character limitation, duration, reading time, alignment, text on screen, line breaks, text units, dialogue, and other types of subtitles. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before you get started, just so you know a little bit about me, so you know who is talking to you right now. My name is Rafa Lombardino. I'm a certified translator and translation instructor. I've been working as a translator since 1997. It's been a while. And I'm certified by the American Translators Association, the ATA, in both English to Portuguese and Portuguese to English. I also have a professional certificate in Spanish to English translations from the University of California San Diego Extension Programme. My additional language pairs are Spanish to Portuguese, Italian to Portuguese, and Italian to English. I'm the CEO at Word Awareness, a small network of professional translators that got together to provide multilingual services worldwide. We were first established in 2004 and incorporated in 2009. My specializations are technology or information technology, IT, anything related to computers, Because in a past life, I earned an associate's degree in computer sciences with emphasis on data processing. So I was studying to be a programmer, didn't really work out, so I continued translation and I went into IT because of my technical degree. I also work with a lot of communications, which means news articles, advertisement, marketing, because in another past life, I earned my bachelor's degree in social communications, and I majored in journalism. The other areas I work with very often are education, health and wellness, audiovisual material, including subtitling, as I will be talking about today, and also literature, both fiction and nonfiction books. I'm also a translation instructor. I started teaching at UCSD Extension in 2010. So it was about three years after I graduated their program. And I've been teaching tools and technology in translation, introduction to subtitling, and introduction to swordfish. I'm also an author. I wrote a book based on my class. So it's called also Tools and Technology in Translation. And I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast called Translation Confessional, where I talk more about the ins and outs of over two decades working as a translator. Okay, enough about me. Let's go to the main topic right now, because that's what you're interested in, right? Subtiling. So let's dig into the technical aspects of subtitling. The first thing you need to know is that you have to follow the standards for character limitation because there's only so much that you can fit on the screen so people can read and get the information of what they're watching. So basically, the standard for subtitling is only two lines per subtitle, okay? And the character limitation, it depends on the client's preferences, but usually it stays around 35 characters per line or 42 Especially if you're talking about documentaries and interviews, most of my clients do go for 42 characters per line, but make sure you check with them before you get started on your project. And if you have 35 characters per line, you have 70 per subtitle in those two lines. And if you have 42 characters per line, you have 84 per subtitle. All right? The main idea behind subtitling is that you have to be concise. So you have to condense the message in those two lines in so many characters, according to the client specification, you have to summarize the message. So everything goes through to the listener, to people watching the video, assuming that they don't speak the original language at all. All right. And one quick tip, one last thing about character limitation, If your subtitle is 38 characters long, try to break it in two lines, okay? So you don't have just one long line on the screen. You can break it into two. And we'll talk more about breaking lines in a little bit. Moving on to duration, to how long the subtitles stay on the screen. The standard time is between one and a half second to six seconds, all right? If you have a shorter subtitle, let's say someone just said hello or just said how are you, one or two words, you can have a subtitle last a little less than one and a half second, all right? You just have to make sure that there's enough time for people watching a a video to see what's on the screen, to see what the message is, and not have the subtitle flash really fast and disappear, So keep in mind that most people read about three words per second. And we'll talk more about reading speed right now. When it comes to reading speed, we have uh, an average of 22 characters per second for adults and 17 characters per second for children. So it's very important for you to know what your target audience is. Of course, based on the kind of content you'll be subtitling, You will know if it's more for adults or children, but always check with your clients if they want 22 or 17 characters per second. All right, some tools will show you kind of a meter, a progress bar that show you if you're getting close to that limit, so you know that you have to summarize your message even more and it's funny because sometimes um we get a lot of criticism as subtitlers. A lot of people say, "Oh, that's not right. Oh, I could do it better." But you don't understand the trauma that it is to work on certain tools and see that progress bar going from green to yellow to red, and then you see that you're running out of space. So you really have to be creative to make sure that the message fits into that character limitation. So Keep in mind that reading speed will definitely make you think on your feet and make you become more creative because you have to fit everything within the reading speed and the character limitation, okay? So going back, what we usually say in the industry is CPS, which is characters per second. So make sure you ask your client what the requirement is for that, okay? Okay. Don't forget, it's the best thing is just to have a good communication with your clients so you know what you're doing, how you're doing, and how they want the project to be done. Moving on to alignment. If you watch a lot of subtitle content, you know that the standard is centered and on the bottom of the screen. However, you have to move the subtitles to the top of the screen if there is already something going on on the bottom. If, for example, there is um, credits, the opening credits for a movie or a a TV show, or if it's an interview and they show the person, the name of the person being interviewed and who they are, a professor, a government official. So when you see something written on the bottom of the screen, you will have to move the, the subtitles to the top of the screen, all right? if that's not on the template already. If the client already provides you a template, maybe they have moved it already. But if you're creating subtitles from scratch, definitely you need to pay attention to that. There is an exception as far as alignment that sometimes some clients will have uh, subtitles showing up on the right-hand side, on the top of the screen. And that's reserved for describing sounds. And we'll go more into SDH and HOH subtitles because that's a special kind of subtitles. So we'll talk more about that um, in a little bit. Talking about text on screen, like I said, if you already have the credits or the, the name of the person being interviewed on the bottom, that's text that appears on the screen. So keep in mind, the subtitles have two functions. Mainly, it is for the audio, so everything that is being spoken, whether it's lines from a movie or or series, or if it's someone being interviewed, what they're speaking has to come through in the subtitles when you're translating it. But if text appears on the screen and it's relevant to the narrative, you have to add that to your translated subtitles as well. All right? If it's relevant to the audience and the audience, you assume, they don't understand the original language, the source language, it will have to fit within the subtitles, within the audio content. It should also be in all caps so it stands out, okay? Because it will take viewers away from what is being said, what they're hearing in a foreign language, to what is being shown to them on the screen, Some examples of text on the screen include news headlines. If someone is reading a newspaper, for example, or if someone is watching TV and they have CNN or another kind of news channel, a make-believe news channel in a movie, and they have a headline flash across the screen, like breaking news, you have to have that written in the target language so people can understand, can contextualize what's going on. Um, sometimes book titles or a sentence of a book, if someone is reading a book and it's relevant, it's something that the character is thinking about, um, you have to add that to the subtitles as well. If someone is reading an email or reading a text message on the phone, that will go through uh, to the subtitles because it's relevant information. And one side note that I think it's interesting Sometimes you're translating a series or a movie, for example, and the character is looking at the phone and they're text messaging someone. It's so hard if there's still uh, dialogue going on. If the character is still talking to someone and like looking at the phone and you get the message that is written and you get the audio at the same time, it is a nightmare for subtitlers because it's very hard for you to fit it in. You either go with the audio... Or you go with the video. What do you do? So you have to talk to your client. If the client doesn't provide a template to you with already the the original language in the subtitles and you just have to translate it, if you have to make those decisions, if you have to prioritize audio or what shows on the screen, well, it is it is a nightmare. So talk to your client, see what they want, see what you can do, and you'll be able to make better decisions that way to actually make your client happy because that's what the final product that they're asking from you. The The good thing is that I've been seeing more often and I've noticed that uh, on Netflix, they are using, instead of the character looking at the, the phone and it's because Netflix is very aware of content localization because they have subtitles in so many languages now, they are showing the text messages being exchanged between characters, they're showing it on the screen. So let's say someone's standing in the living room holding their phone and they're texting someone. You see on the screen the whole text message going through while you're also observing the character. And the good thing is that Netflix has been planning on having the character stay quiet. So you actually have time to add that subtitle um, about what's going on with the text. But the cool thing that they've been doing now is that they are localizing the text messaging on the screen. So you don't have to try to fit it into the subtitle. So I remember just watching the series and I was watching it um, with the Portuguese subtitles turned on. And when I looked, they were actually offering the translation in Portuguese for the whole text message that was going back and forth. I thought that was great because it really helps viewers follow what's going on because they're not missing any of the information that is on the screen. Okay, so that's really awesome that they're doing that, but not everybody does that. So talk to your client and prioritize what you can according to what is most relevant to the target audience. Okay? Moving on to line breaks, like I was talking about, that you have to break your line, uh, your subtitle into two lines if you have 38 characters or more, so you don't have one long sentence across the screen. Well, line breaks is all about harmony. It has to look good on the screen and be easy for people to read while they're watching uh, a movie, a show, an interview. So... Try to balance your lines. Try to make the top line be a little shorter than the bottom line if you can. Because that will help. That's how our our eyes behave when we're reading subtitles. It's easier for you to just go through the first line and it's a little shorter than the second line. And that's what we call the pyramid effect. So um, if you look at this slide that I have up right now, I'm actually using it. I'm actually using this principle in breaking my uh, information down so you can read it more easily. You can see that I have, whenever possible, use the pyramid effect. And the first line is a little smaller than the second line. Okay, same thing with try to leave the top line shorter than the bottom line right there. It just creates some harmony. Your eyes will be able to get the message and read it faster and more easily. So when breaking your lines, really aim for harmony. And how do you make decisions when breaking your lines? Well, you must pay attention to text units. I've noticed that that's what my students struggle with the most because it is something you have to get used to. You really have to either watch a lot of good subtitle content and emulate what you see, learn from the best, learn from good examples, or you really have to practice a lot and you have to think a lot. It's hard at first, but once you get used to it, you can make those decisions on the fly. It's so much easier for you to just break the lines where it looks good and it makes sense. So text units are all about words that have to, they must stay together on the same line or on the same subtitle to make sure that people can understand the message better. One thing that you can't do is to break lines like I'm talking right now because you're not getting... All the message through it's harder to understand if you're breaking down text like that <laughs> right I mean I really I really think that this little bit that I just did for you was confusing so let me go back to give you the message in a better way That will make you understand better so you can think about how subtitles are important when people are acquiring knowledge from something they're watching. As I was saying, it's hard for you to understand a message if it's broken up at odd places, if it's just done arbitrarily. So make sure you're keeping tax units together, okay? Don't try to finish the sentence on the next subtitle. It's like reading a book. When you turn that page, when you go to the next subtitle, people only have so much of an attention span and memory retention. They will forget what you were just talking about if you just break the subtitles in the wrong places, okay? So one way to try to keep text units together is to always ask WH questions. Who? What? When? Where? Why? How? Try to create your sentence around that. Of course, always keeping it in sync with the original, with the audio. And try to formulate the sentence in a way that you can break it down. So maybe you're going to have the who and what on the first subtitle. Turn the page, go to the next subtitle, and you're going to have the when and where. Just an abstract example to try to give you this concept of how to break the lines and break the subtitles, try to think about what you can offer the target audience within that time according to what is being spoken, what you can hear in the original language, and how they can see it in the target language, all right? So examples of how you keep text units together are, for example, proper names. If you are subtitling something and, you know, your name shows up, your first and last name have to go together. Don't break your first name on the first line and then your last name on the second line. That's just not right. Or the same thing with um, names of cities or states or something like that. So if you're saying New York, you don't put new, break the line, York, or even worse, new, (laughs) next page, next subtitle, York. No, you have to keep New York together, all right? Compound nouns, that's the same thing. Maybe it's not a proper name, but a compound noun, for example, um, Christmas Eve, New Year's Day. You have to keep those words together so it makes sense, okay? So that's a tax unit. You can't break it into two lines or two subtitles. Article and noun, same thing. The house, you don't put the break, House, all right? Keep them together. Um, Adjective in a noun. Big house. Big and house together. Don't break them. A pronoun in a noun. My house. Keep my and house together. Uh, Some expressions, for example, as fast as, as well as, as soon as, by the way, you will have to keep those words together. All right, that's how our eyes are trained to see them together. So you cannot break them or there's going to be that split second that people will not be able to catch on to what's being said, to what's being shown in the subtitle, and they may lose their train of thought. All right, so keep those expressions together. Same thing goes with auxiliary and action verbs. You don't have don't have. You have to put don't have together. All right? Don't break them. So if you have will do, going to be, try to keep them all together so they make sense, so they are one unit when people are reading them. Same thing with phrasal verbs. Get out. Go up. Turn off. Keep those words together. Okay? So I hope that even though it's a little abstract, you can understand the concept of tax units And you know what, if you want to practice, we can certainly talk about some kind of uh, feedback that I can give you. I'll give you some exercises, some homework, if you will, or you can take advantage of my full class that is six weeks long, and we practice a lot of that. I give a lot of feedback to my students on how to break tax units, so their subtitles are pleasant to the eye, all right? I'll talk more about my class later, but I just wanted to make sure that I stress on how important text units are when you're creating your subtitles. Okay? And that takes us to dialogues. So, dialogues, um, it's something you have to really check with your client because different clients have different style guides. Some of them like a dash with a space, some of them like a long dash. With a space. Uh, Some like no space at all. It's just dash and you start writing, or the long dash and you start writing. So, check with your client what is the format that they use so you will be complying with their style guide. So, you will deliver what they're expecting. All right. That will make a good impression because uh, QA quality assurance, someone watching the video with your subtitles later on won't have to correct much. So if you already provide your subtitles with the right style that is expected, that's a plus. And make sure you always keep the dialogue in uh, two lines. So one person is speaking something with one line, the other person speaking something the other line. And one thing that is very important to stress is that the dialogue only happens when it's two people talking on the same screen on the same subtitle. If you have two people talking and it's kind of like, you know, someone is going on and on and on and then stops and then someone else is going to reply, they are going to be in different subtitles. It's a different page, right? So if you think about how a conversation is going uh, in a video, in an interview, in a, a dialogue of, you know, a movie or a series, you only get to use the hyphen or the long dash for the dialogue when you have two lines On the same screen and one person is saying something the other person saying something else so for example how did it go it was great so it's a short conversation it's two people talking each one has one line of your subtitle but if someone says how did you go did you get home late that's one person talking so that person has the subtitle priority right now and then the other person will reply a few seconds later oh, yeah, yeah, it was great, but I did get home very late. So that's the second part of the conversation, okay? A dialogue happens when it's two people, one short line, the other short line, on the same subtitle, on the same screen, okay? When people are just going on and on talking about something in a conversation, you do not need to use um, any markings for the dialogues. Now, there are some special cases for SDH and HOH and I'll talk about them later, um, more in depth of what they are. But the special cases for, um, for dialogues uh, would include sometimes adding the character's name. So it could be in brackets. It could be in parentheses. It could be with the colon. It could be with a dash, the name, and a colon. So you can see some examples that I put there. For example, uh, brackets, John, hurry up. And then Mary, parentheses, come here. Uh, Phil, what time is it? Ed, what did you say? So these are examples of how um, some dialogues and special cases can show up on the screen. Okay, and I'll explain to you why the name of the people are there in just one second. But this is some of the formatting I want you to pay attention to. And before we move on from dialogues, the last thing that I want to talk about is other special resources that you may have. Um, They include two dashes. So they're the two short hyphens, one after the other. And it's for interruptions. So pretty much if someone says, hey, what are you... They didn't finish the sentence. What are you doing? If there's no doing in the audio... What happens is you put the two dashes right next to what are you? Right next to the you. you put the two dashes. It's an interruption because something happened and the person did not finish the sentence. All right. could be in dialogues or it could be just a regular sentence if someone is speaking by themselves or something. And the other resource we have is the ellipsis, the little three dots. That's for hesitation. That's for incomplete thought. So it's different from the interruption. The interruption is something happened, someone set something and cut it off. Now for hesitation is if um, I take a little too long to finish my thought. (laughs) That was a hesitation right there. That's an incomplete thought that I just, I stopped talking about that and moved to something else. So these are the examples of hesitation or incomplete thoughts when you use the ellipses, the little three dots, Okay. Make sure you don't use it for every time you're turning the page and going to the next subtitle. No. you just If you watch subtitle content, you see that someone is talking and then the subtitle will be broken and go to the next screen and there's no ellipses. There's no three dots. It's only for those special cases when you're hesitating or not completing your thought, when you just leave it hanging in the air. All right? So use your ellipses sporadically. Only when needed. And now, as promised, uh, when I'm addressing now the other types of subtitles you may find, uh, I'll finally uh, address the SDH and the HOH that I've been talking about the whole session. So, uh, But first, before we go to that, let me talk about closed caption. Uh, that's a different kind of subtitle from what you would just watch on a movie or a TV series or interview. Closed captions, what what happens when you just have the monolingual subtitles. That's the source language. It's mostly used when you turn on the the closed captions or watching news, for example. And most of the times it's machine generated. It's uh, by voice recognition. That's why sometimes it doesn't really look right. Someone said something and maybe has an accent and the machine didn't pick it up correctly. So you see that there's a lot of mistakes in closed captions on TV and that's just the way it is. But there are cases when a client may hire someone to do, a human to do it, And then it will be more accurate, of course. And it may involve some shorthand typing. So instead of just typing a long word, you have a command that you can use for words that are used very very often. So you will be just typing that command, and that word will be printed on the screen, will show up on the closed captions, because you're already set up kind of a shortcut, right, that you can use on your keyboard. These are special cases. You have to be heavily trained for that. Um, Some people are using it now for closed caption for live webinars, for example, or when there's an interpreter and you're captioning what the interpreter is saying. So the subtitles I will show on the screen are actually in a different language than what the speaker is using But anyway, that's another kind of closed caption. And they usually don't follow the same uh, technical aspects that I've been talking about here. They're not the pretty subtitles. They're not the pretty uh, line breaks and text units. It's more of like text scrolling on the screen pretty fast to follow the audio. Um, there are different kinds of subtitles that I want you to just be aware of. Some clients may ask you for that, but it's very, um, very rare right now. The market is asking for more of the professionally made subtitles for all the content that is being created out there. Okay. Including the glamorous materials like uh, movies and series and documentaries and interviews for the, for TV, But also for institutional content, like we say, uh, which would be videos that are made by companies, for example, to train their employees or to offer their services, to showcase their products. So there's a lot of videos that are not entertainment related that need a lot of subtitles. So you need to know these requirements to provide good subtitling services to those clients as well. And the other type of subtitles is the deaf and hard of hearing. That's the SDH or the HOH that I was talking about before. So it's also a different kind of subtitling because it's not only about translating what is being said into another language or even transcribing, but it's to offer something else additional to people who are deaf and hard of hearing so they get the full experience of what is being shown. So, for example, they will include descriptions of sounds. If there's music playing, if something fell on the floor, if uh, someone just, you know, banged on the door, you have to describe those sounds for the deaf and hard of hearing because that is part of the experience of watching that movie or series, for example. So this is something that is different from regular subtitling. You don't need to do that with regular subtitling. But you have to train for that. You have to check with your clients all the conventions that they are using, all the requirements that they've added to their style guides. Make sure you follow that. Sometimes it's in all caps. Sometimes, like I said before, it's uh, on the right-hand corner on the top of the screen. Sometimes it's uh, in parentheses or in brackets. So it changes according to the client. There are different uh, standards that you can follow but it's good to check with them to see exactly what they want. But deep down, it's just to provide the full experience for the deaf community and for the hard of hearing. And in those cases, like I said, they will indicate the speaker because it could be someone speaking away from the screen. So someone watching it can't see lips moving because it's not being shown and you have to add then who is speaking. Uh, You have to put John before the the dialogue or Mary before the dialogue so people can follow um, the characters, uh, who is saying what. And if there's no name indications, I've watched some subtitles that also have different colors. So, of course, there's only um, so many colors that you can use, but they assign a color to a character. So the deaf community or people who are hard of hearing and turn on the subtitles they can follow who is saying what. So, for example, you know, pretty cliche, but the woman is going to be pink, the guy is going to be blue, the kid may be green. Um, so, they have different colors that they assign to the characters, and that's all something that the client will definitely let you know, um, or it will be already in the original. So, you have to follow the same conventions in your translation if you're translating um, subtitles that are already created. In the monolingual, in the source language, if you're creating your subtitles, the target language, you have to follow the same conventions. All right. And sometimes there are special um, styles as well. If you're going to have it in italics, if there's one message you have to keep in mind when you walk away from the session is always check with your client exactly what they need. Don't feel that, you know, Maybe the client will think that you're very inexperienced, that you don't know what you're talking about. No, just make sure that you want to meet their expectations. Ask for a style guide. That's the best way for the client to not think that you don't know what you're doing. If you ask for a style guide, the client will provide one to you. Or they would be like, huh, that's a good question. We don't have a style guide. Maybe we have to create one. I actually worked with some clients that I had to create a style guide for their subtitles. So not only my translations, but everybody's translations when they're hiring other subtitlers, they would follow the same standards. So don't be shy. Make sure you ask. And clients will be more than happy that you're actually going the extra mile to meet their needs. Okay? And well, after all this talking, that's all I had to say as far as technical aspects. That's definitely something that um, takes practice. So next time you watch something with subtitles, uh, don't be quick to judge all the decisions that go into fitting the message in those subtitles, because you know all that is behind the scenes, all that you have to do to make sure you follow the requirements and I really hope that this brief session gave you some more ideas of what it means to be a subtitler, what uh, you need to do to make those decisions and do it well and do it fast, because you only have so much time to finish those subtitles. You can't take a whole month to do one movie, for example, so you need to practice a lot. And you need to just come into the project with all the resources you have, all the tools available to you to make sure you do a good job. And if you do want to learn more, if you want to practice, if you want feedback on your work so you can train and uh, be a better subtitler and get your start in subtitling, make sure you reach out to me. You can take my class, which is six weeks long. It's online only. It's self-paced. So every week I release some material for students to work on. And then by the end of the week, there's homework. I correct everything. I give you feedback. And what we do in this class, which is offered through UCSD Extension, and you can see the link right there if you want to learn more about the class, Uh, What we do is we have two classes that are just theory, the first two classes. So we talk about these technical aspects, but we go more in depth. We go into more advanced technical aspects like uh, frame counting uh, and other things that you have to follow to make sure that your subtitles are good to go when you deliver them. But what we do in those first two weeks is just practice the concept of what subtitles are. And then we have two weeks when we start practicing. And we practice with something called Dotsub. It's a very easy online platform. You can just create your account. I will assign a video to you. And then you can practice. You can practice a transcription. So you're creating the subtitles from scratch. And you can also practice the translation. So you can translate into your language. And well, I can only correct your translated subtitles if it's in one of my languages. So if you translate into Portuguese, into Spanish, into Italian... I can definitely help you out uh, as far as the translation decisions as well. If not, I can give you feedback on the formatting and how you're breaking lines and how uh, long you are allowing those subtitles to stay on the screen. But it's a very good practice, a very good example of how you can work on subtitles and then expand on your knowledge. In the last two weeks, we do some more practicing to wrap up the six weeks together. The last two weeks, are pra- we practice on YouTube, which is also free. Um, if you have a YouTube account to watch videos, you can actually upload your own videos to practice subtitling. They have a whole set of uh, tools behind the scenes for you to create subtitles in YouTube. So we go into all that, and I help you use the knowledge that you acquire into subtitling YouTube videos as well. If you have any questions after watching the session, if you want more information, uh, if you want any kind of guidance, our interaction doesn't have to end when the session ends, when the video comes to the end. You can reach out to me uh, by email. You can go to my website where I have some more resources. You can visit my YouTube channel where I have one or two videos about subtitling with more information about the ins and outs of subtitling. I also have a podcast called Translation Confessional, and right now I have two episodes that go deeper into subtitling, and uh, you may want to check them out to have a broader idea of what it's like to be a subtitler and make those decisions. Sometimes uh, deal with the criticism, so check it out on Translation Confessional. You can go to my Facebook page, you can hit me on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram. So I'm whenever you are of these social media. Uh, outlets, I'm there. You can reach out to me. And I love talking to people who are starting. I love to talk to people who are trying to diversify their services and go into a different field. So maybe you're already a translator or an interpreter for a long time and you want to go into subtitling. I would love to brainstorm some ideas with you and help you out on your path to diversification. So don't be shy. Reach out to me. If you want to check out my class, that would be great to see you in class too. And I really hope that this gave you some insight on the technical aspects of subtitling and that you can reach out if you need more information. All right. Thank you so much. And I hope to hear from you soon. Bye-bye.